The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What you saw from Trey, is the natural progression for him to be a starter? Or is that something that he's going to have to prove this offseason? Well, I mean, that's that's why we looked into trading Jimmy. I mean, because we obviously believe that Trey can be a starter, and we're ready to do that. But it's... Uh, we can't up upgrade our team in another way. We're not just going to get rid of a good quarterback because we have other quarterbacks on the roster. And quarterbacks are really hard to come by. Some teams don't have any at all. And the fact that we have three that we're happy with, uh, that is a good thing. Uh, you always want to upgrade your team. And usually only one guy can play. It's professional sports. You know, I mean, if, if Steve Young can sit on a bench for four seasons, like, Steve Young's a Hall of Famer. You know, and if he's willing to do it and he has a competitive drive to do it, why can't somebody else? And I, I think those two drove each other in the late 80s and early 90s to be the best that they could possibly be. And if, if that's the situation that we have and that's what's created, like, I'm sign me up for that problem any day. A lot was said there by Kyle Shanahan from yesterday and then also Jed York, the 49ers owner. Plenty of things to process and unpack. Helping me unpack and process that and other things over the course of the next hour. Our good friend Mike Golick on a Wednesday. Appreciate the flexibility. Appreciate the time. Great to see you. How's everything in Arizona? All doing good here. And listen, nothing like a good little midweek of football talk, right? It's really good any day of the week. So midweek's just as good as any other day. The good news is, or bad news, For our selfish purposes, there's been no dramatic, jarring news that happened today that we react to. So we can at least take it a little more gradually and think about what was said by Shanahan and Jed York as it relates to their quarterback situation. First of all, and I may be working backward here, but the notion that they have a Joe Montana, Steve Young scenario with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, we don't know what Lance is going to be, so maybe – He'll be the Steve Young in that equation. But I think it's pretty safe to say Jimmy G is not Joe Cool. I think that's safe to say. I would, Mike, listen, when you hear Jed York say that, you do kind of cringe a little bit. But I think we all understand his meaning. The meaning was two quarterbacks that you feel can be good players and start for your team on the same roster at the same time. We don't feel we have to give one away for nothing, you know, just just because we have another quarterback. So I'm going to, while I, I did raise an eyebrow, I raised a, uh, a, a the rock eyebrow, you know, his wrestling eyebrow when that was said, <laughs> I, which I can't do. I understood what he meant. Listen, we know we went through a two with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, again, two names that you wouldn't associate with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance either. But I understand the meaning of, hey, we got two guys that we feel can start. We're not just going to dump one for nothing. If they get a great offer for Jimmy G, they probably will. But I, I, I understand his meaning. So while it was an initial sticker shock, you know, I get what he was saying. Another flaw in his reasoning as well, the idea that Steve Young sat for four years. No one is sitting 
for four years in right. today's nope. NFL. It doesn't work that way anymore. Your contract expires after four years if you're a rookie quarterback first rounder. And, yeah, I presume they would pick up the fifth-year option, but even then, four years is too long to expect. And it's only going to be one more year at the most. I just feel like, Mike, they're trying to sell this idea that they'll keep Jimmy G because they found no acceptable takers for him. If they had a trade partner that they were satisfied with, they would dump Jimmy Garoppolo in an instant, clear up $25 million plus in cap space, maybe use that on Debo Samuel or Nick Bosa contracts, and move on. I feel like they're pivoting away from what we assumed they were going to do because their only alternative is to cut him. And they don't want to cut him and admit that they blew their chance to trade him and that the shoulder surgery he had screwed up their opportunity to trade him. So now they're acting like they're going to keep him maybe to try to build some trade leverage. In case there's only ever one team that wants Jimmy G, the leverage is, ah, we're just going to keep him. You better offer us more than that. Whereas if you're the Browns, for example, we know they're not going to keep Baker Mayfield on the roster at $18.8 million, fully guaranteed. Nobody believes that. Maybe people will now start to believe, or the 49ers think they can make people believe they actually would keep Jimmy G. 100% agree. I mean, listen, Jimmy G is getting cut or getting traded. Right, what, what, whichever way they're going to go with this, they're gonna they're gonna keep as much leverage as they can, whatever leverage they have that may be shrinking, as long as they can until they can get a trade partner, and most notably they'd like to get two trade partners because that's what could increase the value. But I have no, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's any doubt that they're they're going to get rid of Jimmy G. But and I agree with you in saying they haven't got a satisfactory offer just yet and listen if you're another team and you're only one team involved why wouldn't you lowball him you know he's not going to be the starter Trey Lance is so of course it's a game of cat and mouse well we're good with him it's Joe Montana and Steve Young you know they're all cool you know until they add in the another team adds in that one or two pieces that San Fran wants and all of a sudden you know we're splitting up Joe Montana and Steve Young pretty quickly the other side of this equation as well is Jimmy Garoppolo because I doubt that any team would trade for him under his current contract, $25 million plus in compensation right. for this year and no security beyond this season. So if Garoppolo says, I'm not interested in doing anything with my contract, I'm not interested in taking less, I'm not interested in extending, I'm not interested in doing anything other than honoring the deal that I signed in early 2018, this is the last year of the contract, they can either trade it as is, they can pay me, that salary becomes guaranteed as of week one as a practical matter, or they can cut me. He has a lot of power here. I think people lose sight of that, and I think the 49ers like to gloss over that. And if Jimmy G's not willing to play ball with the 49ers, that complicates their effort to slow play, to maybe wait for an injury, to maybe wait for some team to realize, our quarterbacks all stink. We better go find an upgrade. Well, th this is all about now behind the scenes, right? You see what's out in front, but behind the scenes is what teams are involved. The agent talking to those teams. Hey, if Jimmy comes there, are you willing to extend? You know, not playing the one-year deal. What's your thought process there? So this is the gathering of, of information behind closed doors, behind the scenes by the agent into what teams are involved. And then you make a decision from that. Because you're right, fully guaranteed once the season starts, is this going to go into the season if there's going to be an injury 
you know, and that's when you're going to get somebody. I have a feeling because there's still a couple of teams out there that need a quarterback. But you're right. Do you want to pay that? You know, you're already paying Sam Donner his fifth year option in Carolina. Do you want to bring in a Jimmy G and pay him 25 as well? You got the Seattle situation as well. Because let's also be honest, Mike, 25 mil for a quarterback is getting to the point where we're saying, hey, not a bad bargain to get a guy for $25 million in nowadays quarterback market. One last thing that I wanted to address from the sound that we heard at the top of the show, the Kyle Shanahan remark that we're very happy that we have three quarterbacks we really like. Some teams have none. I'd love to have heard which teams he thinks has none because it's not like they've got three Hall of Famers. I mean, come on, Nate Sudfeld. I mean, I'll do respect. Come on. So I'd like to think that there isn't a team out there that says, oh, wow, he's right. We don't have anybody. We better go get Jimmy Garoppolo. Even the Steelers have to be somewhat optimistic that they can turn Mitchell Trubisky into something better than what Ben Roethlisberger was last year when he was a shell of himself. So I doubt that there's any team shaking in its boots that here we are in late March and we've got nothing. They at least have something they could trot out. Even the Seahawks have Drew Locke that they could at least trot out with a straight face if they absolutely had to come week one. Yeah, no doubt about it. But we also know that there could be a team or two that could better themselves with a Jimmy Garoppolo. Seattle could, Carolina too, just the two teams we're talking about. So now it's just a matter of massaging the situation, right? I mean, can we give up less assets? Uh, Will he play on that one year or will he renegotiate? Will there be an extension? You know, because we know he signed a a team-friendly deal when he signed that deal with the 49ers. So that's why why I really think the the behind-the-scenes deal is going on right now to try and get the the best deal for both teams. What complicates the 49ers situation is Baker Mayfield. We mentioned him a few minutes ago, but you've got two teams out there that have quarterbacks they very much would like to unload. They haven't found a partner. So if I am one of those teams that isn't happy with my current quarterback, maybe I try to leverage the 49ers against the Browns to get the best deal. I think at this point, though, we're about four weeks away from the draft. The teams that are looking to upgrade – are probably going to wait to see how the draft plays out. And then maybe a trade would happen after round one, after round two. If a team that is determined to improve its quarterback situation doesn't get the guy that it wants, maybe that's when a phone call is placed to the 49ers or the Browns. Maybe that's when a deal is done behind the scenes for an extension, a contract that makes it more favorable. So if I'm giving up anything of real value for one of these quarterbacks, I know I'm going to have him for more than a year. I think the draft is the next big decision point that comes and goes and then we see if there is a spot but the bottom line is Mike the way that free agency's played out so far the quarterback carousel has stopped and there are no seats for Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield at least as it relates to a trade sending them to that location and you got to wonder you know you know with egos are involved for Garoppolo and Baker of going wow we kind of got left off this uh, this merry-go-round, didn't we? As you said, it it has stopped, and they're not in it now. It happened kind of late for Baker Mayfield. He had talked about, you know, hey, trade me to Indy, you know, with the Deshaun Watson thing. We, we thought the Browns were out of it. Then they're in it, so it's like, okay, where does he go? But there's still a couple of spots out there. But what does it say if if both of those spots, Carolina and Seattle, don't? you know, bring in a Baker Mayfield or a Jimmy Garoppolo. There's that ego part of it that every player has, depends on what level you're at, of where that ego gets a little bit bruised of, boy, there's quarterback movement going on, and you know who's not part of it? 
Well, the guy I'm looking at in the mirror, and that, that, that's not probably a really good feeling for those two guys right now. There was a thought in some circles that maybe Baker Mayfield needed to be humbled a little bit, and the humbling, I think, has happened when he won yeah. at Indianapolis. And Matt Ryan falls out of the sky, and they jump on Matt Ryan, and they never give Baker Mayfield a second thought. So maybe that's what Mayfield needs. I still have two scenarios, and I know we're supposed to talk about Garoppolo, but I want to deviate. I don't want to run by you my scenarios for Baker Mayfield. All right. One, one, trade him to the Lions, because I think that he fits exactly yeah. with what the Lions are trying to do. Two, he ultimately gets cut, and he makes a beeline for Pittsburgh, and he becomes the guy in Pittsburgh that he never was in Cleveland, and the Browns have to deal with him twice per year. Those are my two preferred outcomes for Baker Mayfield. So you like the one to Pittsburgh for revenge for a guy leaving a team and then trying to nail the team he was with. Um, that would be – I don't think uh, Pittsburgh would want any part – of a Mitch Trubisky, Baker Mayfield training camp, and then one's a starter, and the other one you're just waiting for one bad game when the, everybody starts chanting out for the uh, for the backup. But I get the revenge part of you, and players do do like that. The Detroit one, I know we we had talked about that, and I know you had talked about that. He does fit Campbell. There's no doubt about that. And that toughness, you just have to understand. Okay, you're bringing him in. What's he going to give you? We've seen great out of Baker, and we've seen horrible out of Baker. So we're we're still usually by the fifth year, we have a guy kind of figured out. With Baker, I think more people are leaning toward he's not the guy we thought we were going to get with the number one pick in the draft, and he may never be that. Let's see, because I think it would be very interesting in Detroit. And then if he plays that tough guy role like he does, he does do that, you know, will he end up injured again? Good year as a rookie, bad year when Freddie Kitchens was the head coach, had some mechanical issues, some flaws, he regressed. 2020, very good, especially down the stretch. Won the playoff game at Pittsburgh. Right. Almost beat the Chiefs in the division round. Then gave the Chiefs hell again week one. It was week two mm-hmm. when he injured himself that right. things went sideways for Baker Mayfield. I mean, if you can point him in the right direction and get him to not throw his body in harm's way, maybe <laughs> the best is yet to come for Baker Mayfield. And good coaching, tough coaching, aggressive coaching, Mike Tomlin coaching or Dan Campbell coaching could be what he needs. Someone to tell him like it is and someone he will respect and defer to. I think that's been part of the problem, Mike. Oh, I think so as well. Look what's going on in that Cleveland locker room from when he was young and the things he said and the veterans that had to cool him out to the coaches that were there and gone. There hasn't been a lot of continuity. I think Stefanski will be there for a while. I think he's a heck of a coach. But Baker hadn't had that early, and there is no doubt. Now, Campbell, we know, is a was a tough player, a tough tight end, and is carrying that over to the coaching mentality. He has not been a head coach very long, but – it seems his team really picked up that style of play. Mike Tomlin, there's no discussion. No discussion on, on how well he is respected by players around the league and the way he runs his ship, and everybody knows how he runs his ship. Interesting comment today from Lamar Jackson, the starting quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, the last pick in round one, the, the year that Baker Mayfield was the first pick in round one. A lot of talk about whether or not Lamar Jackson's going to engage with the Ravens. Is he going to sign with the Ravens? What's going on? And there's been some speculation that maybe he wants to just put in seven years, the five years of his rookie contract when you include the option, one franchise tag, two franchise tag, third franchise tag, 44% raise over the second franchise tag would be ridiculous, would be astronomical. That's when he walks away after putting in seven years. He tweeted today, I love my Ravens. There's a false narrative that I'm thinking of leaving. 
Okay, so we finally have something from Lamar Jackson. This is good news because before that tweet, we had no idea what his endgame is. What is his plan? Why won't he talk to the Ravens? What is he trying to prove? Who is he trying to fool or not fool or strategize? Or what, what is it? What is the plan? So at least we know, according to this tweet, he doesn't want to leave the Ravens. We can cross that off the list, presumably. I still don't know what he wants, and I still don't know why he won't go get what he has earned. Mike, four years in the NFL, he was the league MVP. Steve Bishotti, the owner of the team, suggested yesterday that maybe Lamar Jackson just doesn't think he deserves a new contract until he wins a Super Bowl. Well, you deserve a new contract, Lamar Jackson, even though you haven't won a Super Bowl. It's not just you that wins a Super Bowl. Go get what you have earned. This one, I've never seen anything like it, and I hope he finally wakes up and realizes he needs to go get his financial reward. First, I, I don't buy that thought process at all by the owner saying that he maybe doesn't think he deserves it. I mean, the, every, every player knows, now I know he's representing himself, you know when to, to strike when the iron's hot. And you would have to tell me, Mike, I don't know what the franchise tag would be the next couple of years. We know the Kirk Cousins route. I think it was 20 and then 22 or 22 and 24 in his two years. We sure as hell know it's not going to be that. It's going to be way more than that. And you want to go through that, and, and especially he got hurt. We know he gets hurt, we, and, he, and he runs a lot. So does he want a chance at I'm with you because it's not like you need to wait anymore for deals to get done. You have seen what Josh Allen got, what Patrick Mahomes got, and what, um, what Deshaun Watson. Watson got. I mean, I, it's all right there. I mean, these guys are astronomical numbers right now. So you could jump in there whether you want to be the highest or be right in that mix. You're going to be there right now. And you get that security as well. So I'm not sure in, in a sport this physical and the position he plays and the amount of movement he has, I, I, I'm i with you. But And I don't mind not knowing. I, I'm not one of those. I was a player first, Mike, before I got into the media. I'm fine with a player keeping it to himself because we usually always normally find out what's going on. And I'm fine with not knowing. I, that's cool by me. You're the player, man. Do, do you. If you don't want anybody to know, that's fine. But I'm with you as far as Man, I'm really surprised because you got great deals out there right now that is going to pay you a ton of guaranteed money, and you're not jumping on it right now. Franchise tag this year for the quarterback position, $29.7 million. It's tied to the increase in the salary cap. So right. let's say the salary cap goes up 15% from last year, this year, to next year, which is entirely possible with all the money that's pouring into the NFL's coffers. You're looking at about $34 million next year. For the franchise tag, and then it would be forty million in the following year for okay. the franchise tag, and then here's why the third franchise yeah, tag won't happen. happen: it'd be sixty million, sixty million for that third franchise tag. But you, you're absolutely right; the data points are out there. I said last year, once I realized what the Josh Allen deal was and what it wasn't, that it is favorable to the player. Lamar Jackson, just go to the Ravens and say, give me this contract. Just change the names and give me this contract. Now you got the Deshaun Watson deal. Go to the Ravens and say, give me this contract. I've won a league MVP. I don't have 22 civil lawsuits pending against me. I, you know, I've earned this. Just give me this. But he won't engage them. That's what is so confounding to me. Why won't he engage them? And I've been trying to find out, and there may be something to this idea that he's just so focused on his career that 
he just doesn't want to think about anything else. That's all the more reason to have an agent. Uh, yeah. That's all the more reason to hire someone to do it for you. And, Mike, I'm concerned, based upon some things I've heard, I'm concerned that he doesn't have an agent because of the very short-sighted, penny-wise, pound-foolish idea that he doesn't want to pay 1%, 2 or 3% of the total value of the contract to an agent when that total value – Minus one or two or three percent is going to be more than what you're ever going to get on your own, especially if you'll never engage the team representing yourself. Listen, I, any player that wants to represent himself, man, more power to you. If you want to do it and you feel you can do it, more power to you. I personally would never do it. And I, obviously, I never got any kind of deals like this. But I figured an agent was always going to get me more. And you're exactly right. So you're going to make enough to where that percentage wouldn't wouldn't matter. I mean, I and and if, and hearing that, if that's a reason he's so focused on his career, well, that's part of your career. Part of your career is your contract, and I, I would not understand going two years of being a a franchise tag. So in two years, you'd make you, to by the numbers you gave. I know it's it's plus or minus. That would be $74 million over two years. And each of those years, you are risking so much more by getting injured, where if you signed a deal right now, easy to say, right? At least 200 of it is going to be guaranteed. At least 200 of it is going to be guaranteed. So the, the math is not working right in my head on what his thought process is. But hey, you know what? It's his career, it's his life, and if this is the route he chooses to go, more power to him. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people saying, Lamar, you got to do something right now. You want to talk about striking when the iron is hot. The iron is just red and white hot right now for a quarterback, especially a quarterback in his position on what he could make. And I wonder what kind of advice he's getting, Mike. And let me repeat something I've said a few times recently. He should take advantage of the fact that he's a hot commodity line up meetings with five of the top quarterback agents, run his theory, run his strategy, run his approach by each of them and see what they say. And if all five of them tell you the same thing, you're making a mistake, you need to go ahead and engage and get this done now, you're not going to help yourself over the long run, here's what you're putting at risk, here are the numbers, here are the spreadsheets, here are the slides, here's, here's why you need to do this. Maybe he would then do it. I don't know. It just It's concerning to me because – as I've said before, and I'm going to say one more time, if this was my son, my brother, my cousin, my nephew, my client, my friend, anyone, I'd be saying, you are taking a risk that is not justified, especially given the way that you play the position. This isn't a pocket passer who's avoiding contact. This is a guy who delivers the blow. This is a guy who never shies away from the physicality of the position, which means you may never get your generational payday. If you keep playing the way you play and refuse to engage the team for that contract you've already earned. That's what makes so, it even more confounding, Mike. So tell me if my, my math is wrong. If he signs a deal that guarantees, I'm just picking a round number, $250 million, 3% going to the agent would be $7.5 million. Now, $7.5 million is a lot of money. I get it. But based off of the 250 you're making, so now you're making two, what, 245 or whatever? I mean, I, I just, I, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it at all. I don't know. But, but again, maybe he thinks, 
I'm worth so much or I have so much leverage, why do I need an agent? You know, the team is just going to fit me somewhere, either make me the highest paid or put me right in that category, and I'm giving up no money. I don't know. I, I, I can't figure it out either. Look, if my house needed to be painted and I said I want to save some money and I'm going to paint my house myself, first of all, I'm going to do a crappy job and I'm going to wish I had hired a painter. Second of all, this is the equivalent of saying I'm going to paint my house myself. I'm not going to hire a painter. Well, when are you going to paint your house? I don't know. I'm too focused on my job. I'll paint my house when I get around to it. Meanwhile, the house goes unpainted. So that's exactly what's happening for Lamar Jackson. And I hope that someone gets through to him and gives him the advice that he needs. And Mike... I think at some point the Ravens are going to get exasperated and they're going to say, hey, anybody out there, you're looking for a quarterback? You want a quarterback? Anybody out there with an F them picks mindset want to give us a couple of first round picks plus for a quarterback? Because we can't operate like this. We can't run a team like this with a guy who refuses to engage. We need a quarterback who can play well and who will take our money when the time comes. Well, what, what, and what then part of that is, uh, for people to understand, they need a deal to get done so they know where they are in the cap world for the next few years. Just like with Mahomes, when he signed that extension a couple of years ago, everybody knew it wasn't going to kick in until the rookie deal was over, so you had time to make some other moves. And now it coincided with Tyreek Hill and, you know, uh, Devontae Adams getting all that money, and I'm sure, you know, the Chiefs just hitting themselves in the head going, oh, my God, this, this, that, this part didn't work out well. But that's what Baltimore would like to know. What are our costs? What's our cap number to our quarterback over the next five to seven years? That's going to help us be able to decide what we can do with the rest of the roster this one year at a time. Because, listen, if he, if he plays this year and then next year on the $34 million uh, uh, franchise tag, quite honestly, it's a bargain money-wise to the Ravens paying him only $34 million. But it doesn't help him from the cap perspective of knowing where they are five years out and the moves that they could make other quarterback news from the nfc east the philadelphia eagles a team mike golick is familiar with the eagles are committed air quotes committed to jalen hurts don't take it from me as if you ever would though here is the owner of the team jeffrey Lurie, explaining why the eagles are all in with jalen hurts we have a uh uh young 23 year old playoff quarterback uh, and who gets better every year in college and in the pros. He's had really one full year. We're never, no one knows where that's going to end up, but I think what you do know is you have a guy that is incredibly dedicated, excellent leader of men, um, players around him gravitate to him. He will do anything and everything to get better and work on every weakness he has and try to maximize every strength he has. And um, that's, that's why we're committed to Jalen, uh, you know, at age 23. Who knows what the future holds, right? Well, and if anyone knows that, it's the Eagles. It was in 2013 that Jeffrey Lurie said our number one priority is to find a franchise quarterback. And not long after that, Nick Foles had seven touchdown passes, no interceptions against the Raiders, and they looked like they had a franchise quarterback. And then it didn't work. And then they trade for Sam Bradford. And then they trade up for Carson Wentz. And then along the way, Nick Foles comes back and wins the Super Bowl as the backup. And then Wentz isn't the guy. And now it's Hurts. And, Mike, my theory is with this quarterback salary range turning into an accordion opened completely wide, if they can find a way – 
to to drop Jalen Hurts in at a tier of compensation long term that is good, but not franchise quarterback great. They have plenty of money left over for the rest of their players, and they can build a competitive team and keep a competitive team around him if he doesn't make himself think that he deserves $40, $45 million a year. If he's content in the $25 to $30 million per year range when he gets his next deal, that may be the way to crack the code if you can convince the guy to not expect to be paid in the upper echelon of NFL quarterbacks. So there may be some wisdom to this. You deliberately take a guy who isn't among the top five or ten in the NFL, but you make it work around him. You don't pay him like a top guy, and maybe you have a team that contends year in and year out. So, you know, with them, normally you would say a guy that completes 61% of his passes, 16 touchdowns, nine interceptions, that team is not going to get led to a Super Bowl unless they have a great running team. Well, they were number one in the league in running. What do they average? Just under 160 yards a game. So they do run it incredibly well. But still, you got. I think you have to have that passing aspect to get you over the top because we talked about that with the Tennessee Titans and the rushing game they had with Derrick King um, or, or Derrick Henry. I'm sorry, um, King Henry, I should say, uh, and not a great passing game with Tannehill. So how far do you go? Devontae Smith, we love what he did. Goddard, your tight end, was your second leader receiver. Rager, you know, is, is let's be honest, as a first rounder, is not panning out to what they thought he was going to be. So what are you building around him? And does the rushing game stay? They finally committed to it like they should have because it wasn't happening early, and they committed to it, and it works well. And obviously, Jalen's a big part of that as well. So you have to get the good mixture in there of, okay, we need to be a great running team and follow it up with some great passing. And I'm sure they would love Jalen to be in that 65 67% uh, completion rate, 68%, get into the 20-touchdown area, you know, and, and try and keep it at low double digits if double digits an interception to go with that running game. And I think then you have something. Nick Sirianni, coach of the Eagles, who did a great job last year pivoting his approach toward the strengths of his team and going from a team that was passing it a lot to running it a lot to getting to the playoffs to giving the Buccaneers yeah. not yeah. exactly run for yeah. their money, but nothing to be, nothing to be ashamed of. Here's yes. Nick Sirianni talking about Jalen Hurts and what kind of guy Sirianni deems him to be. This guy, again, I, I go back to the type of guys that maximize their football potential. And, and what are the common denominators of those guys? They have high, uh, they have high uh, character. They have high football IQ. They love football. They're tough and they're competitive. Jalen is all of those things. And so Jalen is working on trying to get, you know, you know every, every angle he can to get better. Um, and so whether that's working with a, a quarterback guy or uh, studying film, uh, different ways of doing that, he's, he's doing everything he can do to, to get better. And that's good. That's all they can hope for. And they may have something here. Not everyone's going to have a top five or a top ten quarterback. The challenge right. is having a, the number one team, the team that at the end of the day wins the Super Bowl, and it's about building a team around him. And we do overemphasize the quarterback position. I know it's the most important position on the field, but sometimes we put too much focus on it. Plenty of teams have quarterbacks who are getting paid a lot of money, and they're not even getting to the playoffs. Look at the Vikings. They've got four right. years with Kirk Cousins. He's got one playoff appearance in that time, and he got a new contract recently that pays him another big giant bag full of money and I know you need to have a quarterback to even remotely have a chance but maybe there's a way to build your team where you don't need to have a quarterback that's making all that money and you can have that team around him and that may be the formula that the Eagles are considering going forward Mike 
Uh, listen, I, I, I would like that formula. I think it would be a good formula. I think this offseason is a monster offseason for Jalen for self-scouting. You know, go over your game. You, obviously, you can work with your receivers in the offseason. Go meet somewhere and do your thing. But really work on your game. He averaged also, what, about nine runs a game? Averaged, what, just under six yards a carry? Had 10 touchdowns. So I like that. You know, I, nine times, you know, I, I think you're pushing the envelope of, is he running too much? Is he going to get hurt? Remember when Lamar Jackson first started starting, he was averaging about 16, 17 runs a game, which was way too much. You're just, you're just asking for trouble there. So it's about nine times for Jalen, and he is a very dangerous runner. So between his running and the hopeful improvements that he will make in the pocket, and I say in the pocket because we know guys like Jalen and, and mobile guys can move and do things out of the pocket, but you're still your best version when you can do it in the pocket. And I say that about any running quarterback. If they can stand in the pocket, make the reads, make the throw, a second after the ball snap, know where you're going with the ball because you know what the defense is and you know what your guys are doing, that's where you improve in your game. Don't just rely on your physical abilities. Self-scout and work on making all your decisions a little bit quicker. By the way, best Eagles-related news of the week, by far, bar none, players aside, the return come 2023 of the Kelly green uniforms and the helmet with the real wing, yeah. not that stylized midnight green. I look, I, I, I miss those uniforms. I wish they were the full-time uniforms and I'm glad they're bringing them back. This is the NFL abandoning the one helmet rule come next year. The Eagles will have midnight green most of the time, but they'll have Kelly green a couple of times yeah. a year. Those will be special occasions, Mike. Oh, I love that. Listen, there there was nothing like putting that uniform on. I loved it as well. And I saw the, the picture, you know, Randall Cunningham in that jersey all over Twitter that's showing these are the uh, the color they're going to wear. Very cool. Uh, brings back a lot of great memories for me, for sure. And hopefully we'll, we'll see what it does for the Eagles. Coming in 2023, the Kelly Green uniforms coming up. We'll take a closer look at some news coming out of New Orleans, an important retirement, plus a vote of confidence in a quarterback who will be presumably leading the team in 2022. We'll have more PFTPM right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Plays made, a lot of things Malcolm Jenkins retiring after 13 NFL seasons as a rookie with the Saints won a Super Bowl won another one with the Eagles in 2017 was with the Saints then the Eagles then wrapped up two years with the Saints Great player, underrated, I think, Mike. I mean, he's just solid. He's reliable. He's there. He gets it done. Great guy in the locker room. Great guy off the field. I expect great things from him in his retirement. And uh, 
13 years. They flew by. I remember when he was drafted. I remember when he was a rookie out of Ohio State. You know, it, it, it's one of those things, Mike, where just because you, you're drafted or you play in the NFL doesn't mean you're a pro. You're playing professional football, but doesn't always mean you're a pro in how, in how you act. Malcolm Jenkins was a pro. I mean, he, he defined what, what a pro is, not only by his play on the field, a couple of Super Bowls, some Pro Bowls and things like that, but that man was a leader. You know, I, I have always said, I don't care what sport it is, you don't have to vote on a captain. Every player in a locker room knows who to turn to, whether something's going on off the field or on the field, who's that guy. Malcolm Jenkins is that guy. And Malcolm Jenkins has a voice off the field as well. And he said, you know, you put the grind and everything into this game in order to play at a certain level. You sacrifice your body, your time, your mental. If I can do this at this level amongst the greatest in the world and what I'm doing, I'm excited to put that energy into something else. It's that time. Uh, nothing but respect for the guy in, in what he has accomplished, certainly on the field. But again, I think he's a great leader in the locker room. He's a great uh, he's kind of a great model for younger players coming in on how to work and how to carry yourself. Chuck No used to say when the playing career ended, it was time to get on with your life's work. And the life's work from Malcolm Jenkins should be significant. And I look forward to seeing what he does as an important member of the community with that professionalism that we saw constantly through 13 NFL seasons. So congratulations. And we can't wait to see what Malcolm Jenkins does next. Now, we see what the Saints do next at quarterback. They have, after after going all in to get Deshaun Watson and not getting him, they pivoted back to Jameis Winston. Here's Dennis Allen from earlier this week talking about why they've decided to entrust the team yet again to the guy who was the starter last year until he tore an ACL in Week 8 against the Buccaneers. Here's Allen on Winston. Well, I think the number one thing was 14-3. to three. So 14 touchdowns to three interceptions. I think that was the biggest thing that, that showed me that, um, you know, he can be our quarterback. Is, is, uh, I thought he did a great job of, of protecting the ball, and, and, and we were 5-2 and two with him as a starting quarterback. And um, so I felt like he was a guy that gave us an opportunity to, to win. And so, um, yeah, so we felt good about that. I think probably the biggest thing was, like, I thought he did a really good job with his decision-making. Um, and he protected the football. He put our team in a position to, 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 to win. And I think in our league, like, the number one thing you have to do is figure out how not to lose games um, before you can really figure out how to win them. And, um, look, I thought he did a great job of, of understanding the type of team that we have and putting our, putting our team in a position to go win and, and – and, uh, and he did a good job of that. Hey, Mike, that's always been the biggest challenge for Jameis Winston. A lot of that Carson Wentz mentality where you try to do too much. You think that you are capable of doing more than you are physically capable of actually doing. And you put the team in bad positions. You put yourself in bad positions. You have ugly turnovers, fumbles, interceptions, etc. Sean Payton was coaching that out of him. I still think there was more work to be done, especially as it relates to running that very precision underneath passing game. We take for granted how awesome Drew Brees was at that, how accurate he was, how mechanical and methodical he was. Winston, great arm strength down the field, but he was still figuring out how to run that offense with quick decision-making, with quick release of the football, delivering it in, with pinpoint accuracy. But, you know, I, 
They could do a lot worse than a guy that has been in the system for two years. Continuity is the key. With Sean Payton leaving, I can't recall a time when a team has had the head coach who was so responsible for the team's success leave, but everything else stays in place. And it's going to be interesting to see how this team does without Sean Payton because everything Payton brought is still going to be there for the most part. Yes, Uh, and I think that is so key, Mike. Listen, covering this guy all the way, obviously, from college to now, it's what he did at Florida State. He felt if a guy there was a guy covering his guy, he could throw the ball through that defender. It would literally go through his body and into his receiver's hands. I mean, <laughs> that, that's that's how confident he was, and it was usually thirty yards downfield. He and, he and unfortunately, there'd be turnovers that came with it. And listen, he also I think three times in his career, I think all at uh, in Tampa Bay. He fumbled uh, over double-digit times as well. So it was a problem between interceptions and fumbles. He has always been a guy that just tried to light it up down the field. So I always said he won't throw 30 interceptions, like I said last year, if he played the whole season with Sean Payton, because Sean Payton would pull him before that would happen. But the Sean Payton coaching, and and I thought what, what was said was the truth. And I said it before, 14-3. and three. Seven games, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. He wasn't turning the ball over. Five and two. This game is about winning, not turning the ball over, not changing the field position uh, to your detriment. And he wasn't doing any of that. So I I think, you know, hopefully they say he's ahead of schedule on his recovery. I I think it was the right move to bring him back. He was winning with them, and he wasn't turning the ball over. And the continuity at the coaching staff, I think, was huge. If it was a whole new staff— I might think a little differently, but let's see if he can get a whole season in with this continuity, and let's see what he can do. One big change for the Saints without Sean Payton there. The plug has been pulled on the Taysom Hill quarterback experiment. He will exclusively be a tight end and probably move around and do some other things, but not be a quarterback. And when you see that Trevor Simeon is gone, Hill moves out of the quarterback room. Ian Book is there, kid from Notre Dame they really like. But they bring in Andy Dalton on a one-year, $6 million deal worth up to $6 million with $3 million guaranteed. So it becomes Winston, Dalton, Book. Dalton would be the game-day replacement for Winston right. and, and presumably the guy who would take over if there's a short-term injury. Book the guy they're trying to develop. But Dalton finds a landing spot. The Saints had a need. And, I, I, hey, if Hill's out of the quarterback room, they needed a veteran. Simeon left for the Bears. They needed someone. They got Dalton, a guy who has done some good things in the league yeah. and has kind of become a forgotten man in recent years. I, I agree, but I think this is a great role for him. I, and I agree they needed a veteran. I, I, listen, Taysom Hill, God love the, the contract that he signed and the money that he got. I will always be for players getting all the money as, he, as, as they can. But I never understood the thought process of him being the quarterback of that team. Never. To fill in occasionally and do some of the stuff he did, okay. But to say, this is now the quarterback of a, of an NFL franchise, I, I never thought that I never understood that. So I think this is a great move, bringing in Andy Dalton, a, a safe guy as your backup, a guy that you want you know, to plug the holes in the dam if your guy goes down for a little while to try and keep your head above water. I think it's a good move, and I think it's a move that had to be made. And, you know, it was so strange. I feel like Sean Payton was trying to coach the Taysom Hill quarterback reality into existence. And he did some great things, and he had some great moments. And he was 3-1, and one, I believe, 
replacing Drew Brees a couple of years ago, but it never really clicked. And when he didn't win the starting job last year, when Winston won the starting job, that was the end of it for Taysom Hill. So uh, that's the end of it, and he won't be a quarterback anymore. Let's go ahead and take a break. Plenty more NFL news, including I want to get Mike Golick's reaction to the new overtime rules, plus much more when PFTPM continues right after this. Some other news and developments from this week, different things said by different coaches and general managers. How about Chris Greer, GM of the Dolphins? He has a dangerous new weapon in Tyreek Hill, and Chris Greer said the first thing Tyreek Hill said when the Dolphins traded for him was he wants to return punts. He was a very dangerous and still is a very dangerous Mm -hmm. return specialist. That's how we got to know him as a rookie. It wasn't until his second season that he really took off as a receiver. If you're willing to take the risk – of putting the guy back there for punt and kickoff plays, then so be it. But we know there's a risk. And I I can think of guys, you know, like a Deion Sanders or Randy Moss, every once in a while in special circumstances you do it. I don't know that I would do it all the time. Because I think back to, remember Jason Seahorn when he was one of the top corners yeah. in the game, decides he wants to return kicks for the Giants, tears an ACL in the preseason. That pretty much, he knew he's never the same after that, after that moment. Oh, listen, it is a risk, but you're also paying the guy top dollar as well. So you're like, okay, let's get let's get some good ROI here, you know, and not only as a receiver, but as a punt returner as well. It is a risk. So are you willing to take it? Are you willing to do it situationally? Or are you just saying, hey, you know what? We want to win. Uh, we're trying to build the right roster. He gives us the best chance to win as a punt returner. He's the best one we have, which I'm sure he's going to be. Um, it, but, but I'm with you. It's a risk, but, but I think, you know, when you're Miami, you're like, okay, let's, let's go, let's do it. Let's let him return punts, you know, and then he stays out in the field and him and Waddle and Jacecki are the weapons for Tua, you know, and, and I'm kind of one of those, man, you know, you got the pads on, go play, you know, if you can do it, there, there's other starters in other places that play on special teams as well. I know you have to consider the money situation, but you weigh it against what he can bring you. You know, as far as field position and changing field position as a punt returner. Hey, one of the things the Packers are dealing with, the fact that their special teams were abysmal last year and largely contributed to their playoff loss at home to the 49ers. Use starters on special teams. Use your best players during those plays because you're still 11-on-11 football. It's just a different kind of play. You still need your best players in those moments. You take a big step back, and maybe you're going to have some flaws it will end up costing you victory. All right. Um, special teams will still be a part of overtime. No gimmicks for the NFL. That was one of the big stipulations as they embarked on a way to fix the lingering unfairness of the opportunity to win the coin toss in overtime, take the ball, score a touchdown, end the game. And the NFL this week decided to do what I think is the right thing. It makes it fair, more fair, not entirely fair. The college approach is more fair because you always have a guaranteed number of possessions until somebody's ahead. But at least the team that kicked off gets the ball, has a chance to match or beat if they go for two, if the team scored seven. Mike, uh, Mike Vrabel, the Titans head coach, said this is a very good step to have this new overtime rule. Your thoughts on the NFL tweaking overtime after starting down this path 12 years ago, taking away sudden death. Now they've gone the rest of the way. One possession guaranteed each. Your thoughts. So, well, first you mentioned college, so I will as well because I railed on this for a bunch of years. I hate college overtime. I think it's horrible because it's not football. 
you know, you're giving a team the ball in field goal range, but I know you've even changed it more now to two-point conversion. So I know they're saying it's for the safety and all that kind of thing, but I, 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 I can't stand it. As far as this overtime, I'm torn. As a former defensive player, my thought process is stop them. You want to have a possession? Stop them and then let your offense have a possession. Don't let them get a touchdown. If they get a field goal, okay, my offense still gets a possession. So that's the defensive player in me. Then there's the fan in me that says, man, so Mahomes went down, what, and scored a touchdown, and we never got to see Josh Allen <laughs> you know, on, on the field. I want to see Josh Allen. And, and quite honestly, it's also now I think you put pressure on both teams. So both offense and defenses have to feel the pressure of making a stop. And really, after the first possession, the, there and you know there's going to be another one, even if there's a touchdown, how much fun is that to watch, in my opinion, as well? Now you know the other team has to score a touchdown. And the defense knows that as well. So how are they playing one another? So while I was torn at first and, and the defensive mentality came out in me that said, just stop and you don't have to deal with a one-possession game, I do like it as well. I, I do like both teams having a possession. I think it came down to, in my mind, very simply, the rules continue to be skewed in favor of yeah. the offense, making it harder to just play defense. Second, when we get to the postseason, typically the offenses are pretty good. The quarterbacks are pretty good. So we're going to have games that are 31-31, 34-34, 36-36, not 10-10 that go to overtime in the postseason. That's another reason. And then finally, hey, the coin toss was deciding too many of these games. No one was choosing to kick. No one was pulling the old Marty Morning wag and choosing to kick when they won the coin toss in overtime because they know there's an incremental benefit to getting the ball first, to winning that coin toss and taking the ball. So, I, you know, that, it, it, it makes sense. And I'm fine with it becoming sudden death after each team's had the ball once. I'm fine yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I wanted both teams to have a shot. The one thing I, I, I won't agree to, and when I hear it said, I, I will disagree, the coin flip is not deciding the game. The coin flip determines who can win the game, but you still have 22 players out there deciding the game. You know, we, we, you go through an offense doesn't score a touchdown on every possession, you know, in a regular game. So, as I said, you can stop them. While winning the coin toss obviously can give you the advantage of having the ball first, score a touchdown, the game was over. I, I don't believe that the, the coin toss decides the game. The coin toss just decides who gets an advantage as overtime starts. And now we're doing away with that, which I do like. And I think the critical mass came from the end of that Chiefs-Bills game. It became, and if you look at, I, I remember, you know, we do a best bets segment every Thursday heading into the weekend. And one of my best bets for the week was the over in that game. And I thought the over was not going to hit. And then all of a sudden they hit the over based on the last five minutes of regulation. I mean, it exploded. So what happened by the time we got to overtime, there was a presumption whoever got the ball first was scoring a touchdown. Like whoever wins this toss is scoring a touchdown, period. And I think that's what caused them to finally say, yeah. You're right. It does create a disproportionate advantage, and no one was choosing to kick because you'll take that advantage. And now, mm -hmm. Mike, I think you're going to see more teams kick because then oh, yeah. you know when you get the ball, do I need a field goal? Do I need a touchdown? Do I need a touchdown and a two-point conversion? 
you may have four down territory the whole length of the field if the team scores a touchdown. You will have four down territory the whole length of the field if the team that gets the ball first scores a touchdown. I completely agree. That is the one thing you see in college because each team does get the possession is you do see, you know, a team that gets their choice. They're going to defend first and they're going to they're going to want to know that team's going to want to know what do I now have to do? So I agree with you that you will see more teams choose defense first to know where they're at, especially if the wind is an issue. The wind will be a major factor in saying I'll kick and I'll defend this end. Right. Yep. And uh, because you may get that short field, you may get that great that great net punt because the ball goes straight up and comes straight down. So that'll be a factor as well, especially when we're talking about these games that are being played now in mid to late January in the postseason because the regular season is 17 games long. Wait until it gets to 18. There'll, there'll be even more games when they're outdoors in bad weather, and it'll be more likely that we'll see teams choose to kick to start the overtime period. All right, uh, before we go, something Art Rooney II, the owner of the Steelers, said that caught my attention earlier today. His explanation as to why the Steelers hired Brian Flores to be an assistant coach. And obviously Flores has a landmark race discrimination case against the NFL. It is going to impede, at least in the short term, his ability to become a head coach because teams are going to be leery. They shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a factor, but it's impossible for it not to be. But what Rooney said is the lawsuit can create an awkward situation at times, but irrespective of that, we remain committed to improving the situation in every way we can. And we've been working hard to do that. And I admire the Steelers for doing it because it's especially awkward for them. The Roonies have very deep and close family ties with the Maras, who own the Giants. And the Giants are one of the teams that is being directly targeted, Mike Golick, by Brian Flores. And John Mara not happy about that. Yeah, it's going to be awkward because you're going to hear through the family grapevine, you know, John's kind of pissed, Art, (laughs) that... You know, you're legitimizing this guy who's saying all these things that Mara thinks isn't true about the Giants. So that makes it even more courageous that the Steelers did what they did. Yeah, this is it was an interesting turn. And let's let's also remember this was Mike Tomlin going to the Roonies and saying, I want to hire this guy. We knew he wasn't going to get a head coaching job. He was available out there. Uh, Mike Tomlin's the one who talked with Brian Flores and, and, and wanted to bring him in. So he went to the Roonies with that. And then the whole thing came about. And and listen, as I said earlier, there may not be many coaches respected more than Mike Tomlin for his thoughts, for what he does, how he treats his players. Um, so I, 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 again, I do think this was a great move. And LB, you, we know how this is, Mike. There's going to be plenty of people on the side of this had everything to do with the Rooney rule and other people saying, oh, it was from the heart or that the meaning was, was right. And you're going to get both sides of this and very difficult to change anybody's mind. We're still waiting to see where the investigation goes. And as Roger Goodell said, I'm not doing this investigation. Somebody else is doing the investigation. And when we get to the end of the investigation, again, this is about Stephen Ross saying he'd pay the money to Flores to lose games, said, I will make that uh, investigation public. Let's hope that happens. And I'll say it again, if it's true, if if, uh, Stephen Ross did offer him money, to lose games. Stephen Ross should not own the Dolphins anymore. He should not be an NFL owner. He should be done, and there should be zero question about it. The allegation of racial bias in the hiring, compensation, and retention of black coaches, though, will continue to be front and center in this. And, Mike, I don't know if you saw this. We reported on Sunday night there will be two additional plaintiffs who join the next amendment to the complaint from Brian Flores coming April 8th. 
two new teams will be defendants, two new coaches will be plaintiffs. And for something like this, there is definitely strength in numbers. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think what everybody wants is let transparency. We want to know what's happening with these investigations. We don't want to just say, yes, there's been a decision. And, you know, harumph, harumph, harumph. Nobody's going to know about it. We're going to seal it. So let's, let's get the transparency with this. Yeah, and that's a big part of this. The NFL is going to want to force this into private arbitration, not into the open court system. It needs to be transparent. It needs to be open. And there needs to be somebody independent who makes the decision. We're making the decision to end the show, not because we want to, because we have to. Thanks, Mike Golick. We'll see you next time, everybody. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.